Hi, tonight our sermon message is from Jeremiah chapter 8, the bomb in Gilead. Chapter 8, verse 1, They shall bring the bones of the kings of Judah and the bones of the princes and the bones of the Kohanim and the bones of the prophets and the bones of the inhabitants of Jerusalem out of their graves, says the Lord. Doesn't sound like a good time. They shall spread them before the sun and the moon and all the host of heaven, which they have loved, which they have served, and, and after which they have walked, which they have sought, and which they have worshipped. They shall not be gathered nor buried. They shall be like refuse on the face of the earth. Jeremiah's predictions were heavy, and they came to pass. And... Others will come to pass, and all that happened to Jerusalem foreshadows last day events. Then death shall be chosen rather than life by all the residue of those who remain of this evil family, who remain in all the places where I have driven them, says the Lord of hosts. Moreover, you shall say to them, thus says the Lord, will they fall and not rise? Will one turn away and not return? Why has this people slidden back, Jerusalem, in a perpetual backsliding? They hold fast to deceit, and they refuse to return. Right? So he uses some analogies. You know, if someone falls, they get back up, right? What goes up must come down, right? Someone goes one way, they come back home, right? They go to town, they come back home, right? They, uh, they go to work, they come back, right? So it's just kind of the natural realm of things, right? The rain comes down, goes through its process, and it goes back up, and then it comes back down again, right? And everything has a cyclical system to it. But why, God asks, do my people not return to me? They've backslidden, I've warned them, I've sent them prophets rising up early and sending them. Why haven't they returned, is his question. Warning signs, circumstances, disasters, blessings, and why have they not returned? I listened and heard, but they did not speak aright. No man repented of his wickedness, saying, What have I done? Everyone turned to his own course as the horse rushes into battle. Right? Arrogant. What have I done? What have I done wrong? I didn't do anything. Refuse to repent. Refuse to turn from our wickedness. Refuse to acknowledge it. And just running headlong into sin and disaster and problems. Like horses in a battle, right? I don't have those kind of battles anymore, but yeah, every one day you see some kind of old army movie or something like that, and there are these horses, and they're just running right into battle. You'd think they'd be smart enough to say, oh, I'm not doing that. Just headlong. We're just rushing headlong. Society today, hell-bent, just charging ahead in total denial. What have I done? I'm okay, you're okay. Even the stork in the heavens knows her appointed times 
And the turtle dove and the swift and the swallow observe the time of their coming. But my people do not know the judgment of the Lord. God is love, God is mercy, God is good. God is good all the time. And all the time God is good. But also there is judgment. And even in judgment God is good. But there is judgment. So don't try and put God's goodness, God's love, God's mercy and define it under some humanistic form of wimpy, let everyone just get away and do whatever they want. There is an appointed time of judgment. The animals know the seasons. The animals know when it's time to give birth. The animals know when it's time to roost. The animals know when it's time to, to uh, migrate. But God's people don't know the time of God's judgment. We're living in the time of God's judgment. We're living in the last days, and judgment will come upon this world. And it's hard for us to see it sometimes. You don't see a child for several months or a year, and you come, wow, they grew so much. But they don't see it. Those that are standing around them don't see them growing so fast. Unless they're buying their clothing. <laughs> Things are changing. Rapidly. And yet sometimes it just seems like we don't even see it happening. Living in the time of God's judgment. God's warnings are going out there. God's signs are evident. Verse 8. How can you say we are wise and, and the law of the Lord is with us? How can you say that? Look, the false pen of the scribe certainly works falsehood. The wise men are ashamed. They are dismayed and taken. Behold, they have rejected the word of the Lord. So what wisdom do they have? Right, that's very apropos to today as well. People say, hey, we're okay. God is with us. God bless us. God bless America. God bless us. God is on our side. But we reject the word of the Lord. We'll take pieces here and there. Oh, we have the law. We've got our traditions. Look, we've been doing all these things. Like the rich young ruler who came to Yeshua. I've done all those things. I've got the law. I'm doing these things. But at the same time, being covetous, or worshiping idols, or holding on to anger, or bitterness, or wrath, or revenge, or envy, or pride, and denying the word of the Lord, or denying passages or sections of the word of the Lord, denying his day of judgment, denying his reproofs, Pending falsehoods. Again, very clear for today's day. Denying, saying we got the law. And when we bring it down from ten to two, which is love, down to one. Just as long as we're loving, that's all that God wants. And it's true to a certain extent, but it's whose definition of loving? <coughs> God's definition of love and all of his ways are love and all of his commandments are love 
And again, even his judgments come from a heart of love. But if we reject God's word, what wisdom do we have? The wisdom comes from God's word. Knowledge comes from God's word. Knowing right from wrong comes from God's word. That's where wisdom is. But today we say, well, we're, we're intelligent society, 21st century. We're advanced, we're modern. We know things that Moses didn't know. Those things are old, those things are passe. We're more enlightened now. We're even more merciful than God. We're even more tolerant than God. We tolerate everything. So we're more loving than God is. We're more loving than Moses was. We don't condemn. We just love. We just accept everything. That's not wisdom. That's not the wisdom from God. When we reject God's word, that's not wise. When we do that, we end up with the situation he was talking about in the first verses. <clears throat> Worshiping the sun, the moon, the stars. Our dead bodies will be laying on the earth. With no one to mourn them. Verse 10. I will give their wives to others and their fields to those who will inherit them because from the least even to the greatest, everyone is given to covetousness. From the prophet even to the Kohanim, everyone deals falsely. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of the Lord. Everyone is given to covetousness. That's again our carnal, natural nature. It's normal for us to covet. It's normal for us to be revengeful. It's normal for us to be angry. It's normal for us to be jealous. All the natural inclinations of the heart. Selfish, greedy, covetousness. Everyone is given to covetousness. That's why we need to repent. That's why we need to be transformed. That's why we need the Savior. That's why we need to come to the Lord. That's why we surrender to Him. That's why we confess our sins to Him. That's why we repent of our wickedness. That's why we need to be born anew. That's why Messiah came. That's why He died, to set us free. Taking our covetousness, taking our wickedness, taking our false lies and our false actions and our false faces and our denials and self-denials. He came to take all of that away from us and to give us new hearts. Our perverted thoughts, the lust of the flesh, and the lust of the eye, and the pride of life. He came and took it into himself. He became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Powerful. Trades places with us. He becomes us. He becomes sin. And we become righteous. That's amazing. And a wonderful offer. 
A wonderful trade. Can't get dividends like that anywhere else. Nothing on the market like that. No one else will make a trade like that for you. That's what God has done for us. For they have healed the hurt of the daughter of my people slightly, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Very interesting. Jeremiah says the same exact verse, and the next verse, almost word for word in chapter 6. And Jeremiah repeated it, so I think it's worth repeating. And again, very clear for today. Peace, peace. Everything's okay. You're okay. I'm okay. Let's just be tolerant. Let's just love. Let's just be peaceable. You be nice. I'll be nice. Everything's peaceful. World peace. Peace, peace. But there's no peace. When the angels sang, peace on earth, goodwill till men. They weren't talking about an external peace. Messiah came to give us internal peace. And eternal peace. Not a false peace. Not a made up peace. That's the problem with tolerance. Tolerance really is weak. Tolerance means I put up with you. I tolerate you. I don't like you, but I tolerate you. I got to work at this job, and so I got to work with these other people, and so, you know, I tolerate them so I can work my 40 hours and go home with a paycheck. See, tolerate. Tolerate the boss because he's the boss. Tolerate it because you have to. Just put up with it. God takes us beyond tolerance to love. True peace, not some false peace, not some man-made peace. My whole 60s movement, peace, peace. Peace without God, they tried. We tried. Peace. Without God, there is no peace. And that 60 generation, they might have cut their hair, Changed their shirts, got rid of the tie-dyes or wear them for pajamas or whatever nowadays. And they've changed them out for suits and ties and, 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 and offices and, and, and positions of, on boards and corporations and professors at universities and presidents and presidents of universities and organizations and even nations but they haven't changed of dreaming about a utopia peace without God. Just get high on some drug. Let's <laughs> just have peace. Peace, love. When there really is no peace in the soul, in the heart, in the nation, in the world. True peace only comes from God. Right? There's an interesting bumper sticker, a t-shirt, right? Uh, no God, K-N-O-W, no God, no peace. N-O, no God, N-O, no peace. 
right? It's from knowing God that we experience peace. Not by chanting peace, peace. But when there's no God, there is no peace. Neither internally nor externally. Were they ashamed when they had committed abominations? No. No guilt. No shame. No remorse. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. Therefore, they shall fall among those who fall. In the time of their punishment, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Oh, they can proclaim peace all they want. They can deny their guilt. They can deny their rebellion against God. We can deny the sins in our hearts. We can deny the sins on our record, but we cannot fool God. Judgment day will come. And a punishment will come. I will surely consume them, says the Lord. No grape shall be on the vine, no figs on the fig tree. The leaf shall fade. The things I have given them shall pass away from them. Why do we sit still? Assemble yourselves and let us enter the fortified cities and let us be silent there. For the Lord our God has put us to silence and given us gall to drink because we have sinned against the Lord. We looked for peace, but no good came, and for a time of health, and there was trouble. This is their solution. This is our worldly solution. This is our solution outside of God. Let's enter into fortified cities and be silent. Let's hide behind our walls. Let's hide behind our armament. Let's hide behind our facade. Let's hide behind our locks and doors. Let's hide behind our riches. Let us hide. For the Lord has given us gall because we have sinned. No repentance. No confession. Full confession. Just a hiding away behind walls. Looking for peace. Again, a false peace. No good comes from a false peace. It only comes through confession and repentance and exception, accepting of the Messiah's death in our place. And a giving over the sins and the sinful nature and the sinful desires over to him. And accepting his grace, accepting his power, accepting his spirit to come and live inside us, to give us internal peace, which gives us a godly, righteous walk with him. Verse 20, the harvest is past, summer is ended, and we are not saved. Some of the saddest words in all of Scripture. Hiding in their cities, crying out peace, peace, looking for some kind of man-made peace. Playing our games going through our routines, <clears throat> watching our movies, looking for leisure, looking for retirement, 
looking for the American dream, some kind of a peace, man-made peace, while denying the word of God and refusing to repent, refusal to acknowledge our sins, and then a time will come where those that reject God's grace will cry out, it's too late. The harvest is past. The summer is ended. And we're not saved. The gate is closed. Judgment has, it's, it's, judgment has been sealed. The ultimate young Kippur has taken place. He that is just will be just still, and he that is unjust will be unjust still. The door of mercy has been shut. And in the context of Jeremiah's day, Babylon comes, siege takes place, and the siege continues on. Not able to go and harvest the field, stuck in the city or behind the walls, refusing to listen to Jeremiah's warnings. And the seed time comes and goes, and harvest time comes and goes, and no food is built up. The summer is ended and we are not saved. And the root there of saved is Yeshua, who came to save us. And we are only not saved if we reject him, deny him, resist his love, resist his harvest, Resist his bounty. Resist his peace. The multitudes of the world will cry out. Rocks and hills fall on us. We had our chance. And we resisted it. May we make sure that we give them the chance. May we make sure that we give everyone the opportunity to hear and not only hear, but see God's love lived out and demonstrated. And when we do and they have the opportunity and the time passed, they will cry out, we had our chance and we rejected it and we're not saved. Not repentant, but just an acknowledgement. Like Judas throwing down the pieces of the silver, I have betrayed innocent blood, not in repentance, but in acknowledgement of what he did. Knowing it was wrong and seeing that it was wrong, but not repenting of what he did. We are not saved. Sad testimony. Jeremiah speaking, for the hurt of my, the daughter of my people, I am hurt. I am mourning, astonished, Astonishment has taken hold of me. Now, these could be very well God's words. And if it's Jeremiah's words, then it's only because Jeremiah's heart is God's heart. Jeremiah has God's heart. It's beautiful. God hurts when we hurt. For the hurt of the daughter of my people, I am hurt. When we are hurting, God is hurting. When we are sad, God is sad. When we are grieving, God is grieving. When we are mourning, God is mourning. When we've been abused or neglected or hurt, God hurts. We are never alone in our pain, nor in our joy. No tear goes by that God does not cry with us. 
No smile takes place without God smiling with us. And that's amazing. As big as God is and as vast as God is and as, as vast as the universe is that God is over and, and controlling and, and keeping in order, even if we just thought about even just this tiny little speck of a dust planet, what it would take to keep everything running in all its order, let alone all the planets and all the galaxies and all that is out there that we don't even know about. And yet he is able at the same time to be on the macro level and to be on the micro level and know our heart and know our hurt and to experience pain with us. Emmanuel, God with us. Not only physically in the form of Messiah, physically, in his heart and mind with us. What a beautiful God. Is there any God that hurts when we hurt? Is there any other God who is touched with the feelings of our infirmities? Is there any other God that has a direct connection to our nerves and our feelings? and our joys and our pains as the God of the Bible? What a beautiful God. What a loving God. And why did he write all those first verses, those 20 or so first verses of warning and condemnation and, and, and messages of utter destruction that's about to take place? Because he loves them. Loves us and wants us to repent and warns us and entreats us and calls us out of love for us. An everlasting love. And again, whether Jeremiah or God, mourning and astonishment takes hold. And that's the type of heart that we need to have. God's people will have God's heart. And we will hurt when others hurt. And we will be astonished when others are astonished. We will be in mourning when others are mourning. We will not rejoice in their destruction. We will not rejoice in them losing their job. We will not rejoice in them having negative things happen in their life. Even our enemies. Even those that have caused tremendous pain. And I asked Ben what he thought of Castro's death. I don't rejoice in that, he said. We don't rejoice in the suffering of others when we have God's heart. Jeremiah hurt the daughter of his people. And if we don't have that kind of heart, there's only one place we can go get it. And the doors are open 24 hours, seven days a week. And the heart is free. There, well, I shouldn't say free. It does cost something. You have to give your old heart in. You have to, like, like an old battery, right? You have to give a battery in, a core charge, right? We have, to turn, we have to turn our heart in in order to get his heart. And this is what God's heart looks like. 
it hurts with us. And that's beautiful. And that's the heart that God gives us. And that's beautiful. Then he cries out, is there no balm in Gilead? Is there no physician there? Why then is there no recovery for the health of the daughter of my people? Gilead, just east of Jordan, was known for procuring, growing, they're not sure what type of plant it was, make bombs out of, bomb out of it for healing and salve, to have for, for healing. Going all the way back, this is Jeremiah's day, we go back over a thousand years to Joseph's day. And when Joseph is in the pit and his brother's plotting how to kill him, to get rid of him, some Ishmaelites come by from Gilead with balm. And they come and they redeem Joseph and save Joseph from death at the hand of his brothers. They come from the east. And they come with healing, saving balm from Gilead. And pay for him 20 pieces of silver. And then God uses Joseph in saving his brothers who rejected him and tried to kill him. And that is what God has done in the form of the Messiah. He has come to heal us. And that's what Jeremiah says. Is there no bomb in Gilead for, for our sin-sick soul? Can't we find healing? Is there no physician that can help us in our distress, that can turn us from our sin, that can turn us from our wickedness, that can stay God's hands of judgments that have just been pronounced throughout the rest of the chapter? Can we go to Gilead and get some balm? Why don't we turn to the Lord? There is a balm. He's saying, if facetiously, is there no balm? He knows there's a balm. He knows there's a healing. He knows there's salvation in the Lord. He knows there's a way out. He knows the gift of repentance. And he asks them facetiously, you want to be healed? You want to be set free? You want to be delivered? You want to have victory over the habits and, and the thoughts and the evil desires and inclinations? And the guilt of true repentance, softened heart that is shameful of our wicked ways, that truly loves, receive the balm, receive the healing that God has for us. A beautiful song has been made from this verse. Karen's going to sing it for us, and as she's singing it, I invite it. Come on up. I invite us to meditate on it. 
and receive God's salvation, receive God's healing. Whatever part of your life is hurting, wherever damage has been done, whatever cuts and wounds you have, whether inflicted by others or self-inflicted, and I'm not talking necessarily physical, but scars on the heart, scars on the mind, scars on our record in heaven, that God wants to heal, that God wants to wash away all hereditary tendencies to evil and cultivated that we've developed, that we've learned, setting us free, receive God's healing. And let us pray together. Our Lord and our God, King of the universe, we are thankful that you have provided the healing balm for us. We are thankful that you've provided your son. We're thankful that you've provided salvation for us. Thankful that you've provided deliverance for us. So Lord, draw us close to your side. Forgive us for our sins. Forgive us for our resistance. For finding our own ways to have peace, to hiding in our fortified walls for resisting your conviction for rejoicing in the sorrow of others thank you for your forgiveness thank you for healing our wounds healing our anger and bitterness and hurts and pains thank you for hurting with us thank you for comforting us Thank you for being close to us and never leaving us. Thank you for forgiving us and washing us clean. Thank you for giving us your heart. Live in us and out of us for your honor and for your glory. In Yeshua's holy name, amen.